So during my time at university as an undergraduate student, uh, what I began to realize is that a core theme and, and central idea that undergrid a lot of the content that we interpreted and analyzed in lectures, in our courses, was this idea of a plight. And I'm going to give you the definition of a plight. A uh, plight is defined as a condition, state, or situation, especially an unfavorable, unfavorable or unfortunate one. And that idea was heavily ingrained into a lot of the work that we um, were were interpreting. It was such a central idea that whatever we were reading into, we had to see this level of plight and struggle within it. Like, we read William Faulkner's Absalom, Absalom, and somehow from that story, it was gleaned that there was a plight of the protagonist that he was a repressed homosexual, and his plight was narrating his childhood while in his adulthood while trying to come to terms with his sexuality. Nowhere in the literature was that implied or even alluded to, even in the most marginal sense of giving that idea credence. It was not there, but somehow we were able to conjure up, we were inspired and instructed to conjure up how we could interpret historical literature in our modern day framework to fit a narrative. And what I started to realize at university is that all of the content that we're consuming is about creating a particular narrative about the existence of ourselves and our society. And that what it came to be was that we as the students, we as the young people, we as the generation to um, be receive the torch and the legacy of the past and lead us into a better future because we, the intellectuals, we, the people who have time to go to school and sit for hours and meet blackboard submissions and um, read through hundreds of pages of dense content and literature. We were the entrusted gatekeepers and intellectuals of the future that were had the moral responsibility an indoctrinated duty to uplift the oppressed and find a narrative of oppression from all angles and perspectives of life. That's what I took away from when I went to university. And to some extent, it gave me a level of, I felt a level of hopelessness because it seemed like all that we talked about was for naught, because for every problem that he presented, there wasn't a clear and um, effective enforceable solution other than acting in 
radical dogmatism. That would be the only effective solution to turn society completely on its head, inversion, complete inversion with no middle ground and no gray area. Everything existed in nearly extreme polarity of good and bad. And to choose the side of goodness was to choose the side and to choose the side of virtue would be to choose the the side of, um, I would say hyper, hyper liberalism, um, in the way of bordering, I guess, quote unquote progressive ideology, which falls into the umbrella of anti-racism theory, um, queer theory, um, feminism, anything that takes a historically marginalized identity that has a plight to invert the power structure into the hands of the oppressed, see through the lens of their this their narrative of how society came, became to be, and to operate in the virtue of shifting and reorienting power to create their ideal society. And anything in uh, in slight or great opposition to that was a threat and I began to realize that this this university is a radical indoctrination machine because I'm not someone who can easily just get on board with fanaticism or get on board with feeling like someone owes me something I just my brain just doesn't work like that and I take I for me the way I think about things to keep my heart pure and to keep myself feeling rational insane is to take the meat and spit out the bones and what I mean by that is I take people as individuals and I understand their history collectively like I understand the collective history of white people, but when I inter and I interact with a white person, an individual, they have a clean slate with me on the basis of them, their individuation and their individuality. When I'm talking about social power, we have to address the institution of whiteness and, and white white power structures because they're real. But when it comes to dealing with individual white persons and people, I, in my opinion, everyone should have a clean slate. And that's just how I think about things. But in university, it's like all white persons are collectively responsible for white power structures. Are they beneficiaries? Yes. Are they responsible to the extent that they should have an active role in restructuring our society because they are the beneficiaries and immediate power? Yes. But do we alienate and create a dogma that all white people are evil and bad? That's where it's just like, mm, you're crossing the line because... Why, why do I need to feel that way? Of what, of what benefit is it to me to create a paranoia psychology where all white people are bad? 
because then I'm no good, I'm no better than the person, than the, the white, quote unquote white supremacist who says all black people are dumb or all black people are worthless. And in academia, I don't feel like they really teach that. They don't really teach that there should be boundaries between individuals and institutions. And everyone has a plight that needs to be addressed and empowered. And everyone is repressed. Women are oppressed by men. Blacks are oppressed by whites. Queers and and LGBT people are oppressed by hetero um, sexual people. But the thing is, it's like, okay, but no person is and no person exists outside of these spaces independently. These spaces exist together. These identities exist together. You can be a heterosexual black woman. So now, by virtue of those identities, you could say, oh, you're black, so you're, you're, double, you're double marginally oppressed because you're black and a woman. But you get privilege points because you're straight. So to some extent, you are more privileged than an LGBT white woman because she's queer and her sexuality is a marginal identity that you don't hold. So she holds three, but she actually, she doesn't hold three. Um, marginalized identities. She's white. So technically, wouldn't her whiteness cancel out your blackness and make her more privileged than you? But then your heterosexuality cancels her queerness. So you can't say who's more oppressed by that metric than the other. And then when you come down to it, when you take the sexuality and you take the race, all you have left is quote unquote gender and also quote unquote sex. So now you have two biological female women. Then it's, oh, are you both equal on the basis of you both being women? Now let's say that the woman, the white woman was trans and was formerly a male. So now you have a trans, queer, white woman, but was formerly a man, or formerly a male, or isn't male biologically, but formerly socially identified as a man, now a woman. Who's more oppressive? Because this male who identifies as a woman has white privilege, is presenting as a woman and is by their definition heterosexual and or queer. Now who's more oppressed? It gets tricky. And that's why it's politics. Because it's not a even keel and reliable metric of measuring merit and value and virtue identity is not a identity is not a reliable and valid metric of virtue it is not 
a reliable and valid metric of victimhood. And in academia, they draw a correlation between the level of your victimhood and the level of your virtue. And however victimized you are, however deeply victimized you are, you get virtue points and you are radicalized to some extent if you, you know, fully intoxicate yourself with the poison of their identity dogmatism. If you fully drink, if you fully drink the academia Kool-Aid, you're going to be radicalized into becoming an identity soldier wherein you are charged with the responsibility of going into battle against systems that you are told are structured to disenfranchise you and disempower you. And these are very strong buzzwords. I don't know if you guys remember back in 2015 when these buzzwords became hot on social media. Disenfranchise, disempower, systemic and structural, um, ideology, these buzzwords become a toolkit for them to recreate and recreate and restructure society in accordance with their, you know, worldview that they are a victim because of who and what they are. How are, and let's go through how these groups are oppressed. How are gay people oppressed? Gay people are oppressed because are non-heteroconformative the, the spectrum of non-heteroconformative LGBTQIA plus 2P continue to be continued is oppressed because they do not receive adequate representation in society. So there, even though, and we have to be real, you can't see someone's sexuality unless they tell you. Sexuality is not an immutable characteristic. The only immutable characteristics are sex, which are the fixed anatomical, the fixed anatomical genitalia, which is your sex, and your race, which is the phenotypical presentation of melanin or lack thereof. Those are the only two fixed immutable characteristics but how is this group oppressed because their worldview and the way they like to have sex is in in their historical plight is that they weren't able to exist among society without ridicule that's the plight and without persecution so there were there was a time historically when gay and queer people um were targeted when identified I am not sure, and someone would have to tell me if there are historical witch hunts for LGBT people. I'm not sure. I don't know if that's a thing. But other than that, it's, it seems that the only way for an LGBT person to be oppressed and harmed is if they are found out. So that means that they have the choice not to be found out. Whereas black people, or Hispanic people or Asian people, anyone non-white does not have the choice not to be found out. It is not a choice not to present as who you are because it is fixed to your phenotype. So the queer plight is a social one. It's a, a, a plight for social acceptance for psychological liberation. And 
There are material effects such as socioeconomic effects for people who come out and want to live in their authentic truth. So the whole pride movement and the LGBT um, struggle for freedom is that they want to be able, and this is what I've interpreted, they want to be able to wave their flag, which they've gotten corporate sponsorship to do. They want to identify as a community and class of people because of how they like to have sex. And they've created a culture and a lifestyle around how they like to have sex. And they want their lifestyle and view, worldview, promoted in the school system so that other people can be socialized into accepting and normalizing a vi- um, an alternative way of having sex and having romantic partnerships. That is all the LGBT community is about. How you have sex, who you marry, and who you have romantic relations with. It's a social struggle that can have material effects. But doesn't mean it has to, because if you are white, you still have your privilege points of being able to navigate white society in in privilege and benefit. Um, And they're oppressed by hetero people because hetero people dominate the the cultural norms of society. And um, they run the entertainment industry and the media industry. Largely, this is just about media and promotion. Their play is about representation. So that's oppression. That's oppression for them. So their agenda and their objective is to put their lifestyle to the forefront so that that way it's seen as normal and that they can assimilate into society and acquire the power and privilege of hetero people in terms of normalization. Okay, that's their plight. Women, what's your plight? Women's plight and their oppression is that men have restricted them from living in the fullness of their identity. And we know the historical wage gap issue, the pay gap, um, stereotypes, the social. It's more, it seems again, it has economic ramifications and social implications. Women are oppressed because men tell them that there are certain things they can and can't do based on the fixed status of their sex. And historically, it's been said that women are the weaker sex. So, therefore, women are oppressed because men keep them out of spaces like certain sports, um, business, construction, corporations. And basically, they say it used to be, stay at home, woman, and make me a sandwich, be a housewife, be domestic. You can't have your own bank account. So therefore, your ability to govern and be self-autonomous is inhibited, and you are rendered to be a form of social property. At the and you are beholden to a man who is basically your conservator. I can see why that's problematic. So women went against that and they said, hey, we don't want to be governed by you. We don't want to be set under you. We want to be set beside you, equal in our own right and capacity. Valid. Valid. Women should be able to have their own bank accounts. You should be able to get your own pay. But where it comes to be oppression that women don't get paid the same as men do, that's when society doesn't really play fair because they say women come with liabilities like menstruating and having children and going on child leave and um, not being able to endure the stress, the social stress of 
um, corporate culture and all these other things that women are not really meant for these psychological arenas. And so that's another topic for me for another day that women have fought for the right to be equal to men instead of being equal in their own capacity in in their womanishness and being women and not trying to be like men but being on our most authentic and highest self that's what women should be focusing on but whatever that's how women are oppressed how are black people oppressed black people are oppressed because White society created structures that inhibit them from accessing certain spaces of power and prestige, just like all the other groups, so that they can't govern and um, have decision-making power in society and that they are beholden to white white um, power structures, however they may be in economic, political, and social spaces. And so now black people are relegated to this bottom class uh, cast of society, particularly black Americans, because immigrant blacks, statistically, when they immigrate here, they do better because they have a cultural, they have a stronger cultural identity and um, self-esteem, which a lot of black Americans don't have. That's why they degrade themselves as a cultural practice and lifestyle in the media. Very sad. Um, So that is how the oppression works. Women, non-heteroconformative persons, and non-whites. Um, and, and I'm saying blacks for this particular case because that's what I am and that's what I primarily focus on. So now we've all got these groups who can exist interchangeably in all of these spaces. And all of them have... Uh, or a lot of them have these radical components to them that are completely antisocial and destructive, but cannot be seen through because of the dogmatism of academia and the flowery language that comes with it. For example, Black Lives Matter is an offshoot of the black plight that we've been indoctrinated with in academia. Black Lives Matter inter, um, intersects with the LGBT women and race, the blackness. It's like a trifecta of trauma, the trifecta of trauma, very deep. And what their agenda is and what we found them out to be, um, let's see, Black Lives Matter. We've heard their manifesto. What is the Black Lives Matter manifesto? They said, let's find out. I want to give it to you. Straight from the horse's mouth. Um, oh, they must have updated it because it used to be very radically destructive and antisocial. Oh, the nuclear family. We disrupt. The Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Okay, so they must have taken down that really nasty manifesto they used to have. They cleaned the internet from it. 
very interesting. They used to have a very nasty manifesto that they disrupt the nuclear family and that they want to decentralize families and create community villages and um, affirm and uplift the lives of trans over all lives or something. They really did say something like that. It was actually insane. And you know what's so interesting and problematic about Black Lives Matter? They only show up when people are dead. Does anyone know what Black Lives Matter does outside of showcasing and profiting off of dead black bodies slain in the streets? What charities, what um, education programs, housing programs, um, nourishment and food programs, um, socialization and etiquette programs, family planning services, um, community development programs, spiritual enlightenment programs have Black Lives Matter funded large scale. Does anyone know? Or do they just show up and trauma trump their black card on dead bodies and cry out for justice that they have no tangibles to achieve. Completely unproductive. What about the LGBT community? What are they, what's, what, the identity plight, the plight. We've centered on the plight. We have a cause. We have been oppressed. So what do they do? Promote that children should be taking hormone blockers before they even have their prefrontal cortex developed? Affirming that children should be learning and understanding sexuality when their genitals haven't even come to full reproductive capacity? Because they have a plight. And so this is about preemptively nipping in the bud the structures that have oppressed them before they were born, that were set in place. So now they have to get to the youth and the media and re-socialize society through their worldview which is very aggressive. So now we see it aggressively promoted in children's literature, your coffee shop, corporations, Pride Month, which, okay, you do, you do, you do you. Because they're a community and they're a culture of people based on the who they have sex with and how they like to have sex. They're a community and group of people who need to be represented. Um... But if, and if you have any concerns about that, what are you? A bigot? A homophobe? If you have concerns about the radicalism of anti-racism in Black Lives Matter and that pathology of victimizing black people, what are you? A racist. (sighs) And let's get back to the women. If... Women are oppressed by men and they need to usurp and um, take power back from men, acquire power from men. If you impede that, what are you? A misogynist. For every person that interrupts this myopic view of the world that, that claims that you are individually and uniquely targeted, 
For every group, there's a blanketed statement and term for someone who opposes you. It's dogmatism. And instead of meeting in the middle, and you don't always have to agree. Sometimes you can acknowledge what someone says without agreeing. And instead of meeting in the middle or hearing someone out, they radically oppose opposition and label you these blanketed terms that demerit your virtue. So that way you you are discredited. It's insidious. It's sick. It's insane. Because these forces... And what's so sad is that they don't realize that these forces are underlined with a level of self-destruction. Like women, like the hot conversation right now is women are losing the right to abortion. What's a right to abortion? Outside of the incidents of getting raped and inseminated against your will. How in 2021 are you accidentally getting pregnant with all of this contraception and information what's a right to an abortion and why does you aborting a child and how does that empower you as a woman instead of having full autonomy and control over your reproductive faculties not to get inseminated and impregnated by a man that you do not want to reproduce with, and not even that you don't want to reproduce with, that you are not in the capacity or space right now to reproduce. If you don't want to have a child, make take accountability for your body and don't get pregnant. Sex is reproductive first, not recreational. But what these what the plight and dogmatism of identity does is removes accountability from the individual for how they interpret the world and creates villains and victims. If I am a victim, I am not responsible for what I do. That's dangerous. Because in all ways, there's two sides of a coin, you know? Yes, men subjugating women is wrong. But women subjugate further subjugate themselves when they promote things that inherently are in their best interest. Abortion isn't something that anyone should be pr- proud about. It's um it's a very risky procedure and it's something that shouldn't really be necessary. It's not a form of contraception and even with the LGBT community, there's a level of discredition and self-destruction in the promotion that if you want it to be as normal as hetero people, then why do you go or you want it to be on par with normalization? Then why do you go so far to make yourself different? And to create, um, instead of just letting it be that it is what it is, that that's how you like to have sex, it has to be an identity in um, a marginalization. And I think it's, yes, it's because there are family members who are ignorant and attack people because of who they like to have sex with and how they identify. That's ignorant. But how is it that because of that, it has to become a whole movement? Because what's, it's, what's bizarre to me is that if straight people came out and said, oh, I'm into BDSM and um, 
or heterosexual people. Like, I want to be acknowledged in the workplace for how I like to have sex with um, whips and chains. Why is that not on par with being LGBT? That's just an alternative way of having sex. That would be sexual harassment if someone did that. So how is that? How are these things not equivocal? There's like a fallacy in each of these. Um, in, in each extreme, there's a fallacy of self-destruction. Because also it's like reducing your, your identity and your selfhood to your, your um, sexual preferences. That seems a little invalidating. And then black people. Oh my goodness, y'all, y'all be getting me tripped up. Y'all be tripping me up. Um, y'all will sit here and say, oh, we oppressed by our blackness and the white supremacy, but you don't even address the self-destructive nature of your your pathology and your culture. You have songs by Annalie Choppa, Walk Him Down. He said he's posted on the corner, ready to put a hundred rounds in an F nigga and take him right off the map. Just assassinate him. Just assassinate him. And you hear music like that all the time and you're cool. And the only time you're outraged is when a white person kills you. Come on, get real. The plight, the plight. Everyone has a plight, right? Everyone has a plight. And they create a dogmatism around said plight that can be contradicted if intersecting with another identity and canceled out. And that's what I I really didn't like about academia. How um, everything was always something. Everything was always like, woe is me. These people are so vulnerable and so victimized and never how do we overcome that's always my and maybe it's the mlk in me maybe it's the african-american black american in me it's maybe it's my history maybe it's my heritage we shall overcome what happened to that where did they do that at because it's not happening anymore it's it's about overcoming. Like, yes, these things exist, but let's get over it and not in a term of like bandage it and not feel it, but over it being, being you rise above the narrative. How do you become a victor to the plight without alienating? and character assassinating others in the process. That's how we come together. I'll always say this, our differences shouldn't divide us. They should diversify us because a lot of us exist in intersecting capacities, intersectionality. We exist in intersecting capacities that cancel out privileges and powerlessness. Victims and, you know, like victims and villains. 
you know? It all exists in each capacity of our identity. We all in one way contribute to one another's quote unquote oppression. But what will make us stronger and rise above that oppression would be acknowledging these things but not acquiescing to them. Not carrying them as a burden to be, you know, mourned. And helping to liberate each other in whichever authentic capacity is possible. So that's my spiel on the plight and academia and that dogmatism, you know? We got to get out of this myopic mentality This um, that social media has really also engineered and played a part in because now everybody on social media is a scholar and we have this very narrow worldview that is very counterproductive. So yeah, that was um, my talk for today. So hope to see you in the next episode. Okay.